a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of September 11th through 15th, 2023. It is the first week of the second chance competition. They're not calling it a, tur- a tournament, right? Because it doesn't yeah. produce a single winner. I, I don't know. Second chance uh, extravaganza. <laughs> the second chance jamboree. Jamboree. Um. <laughs> also the first week of season 40. Mm-hmm. Four zero. Yes, that is five whole seasons more than when we were on Jeopardy. It is five whole seasons. In fact, our episode aired just about exactly five years ago. That's right. Uh, depending That's right. on when this episode gets out. <laughs> yeah. So, and we we took a little bit of a break over the summer. We thought we were going to try and do some things, but you know. Things we get were busy. Incorrect. Yes. How how has your how has your month and a half ish been, Kyle? It's been all right. My kids have been in school pretty much that whole time, mm. so they've been they've been loving it. My got a couple of little nerds, just love school. Mm-hmm. And I I mean I shared before we went on break that I was in the market for a job, and I was working towards stuff. And hopefully this very week, you know, once this episode comes out, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, actually, I will have some answers. I have a, I have a, an interview or an onboarding, not really sure what it is, but I have a meeting this week for a potential job. So hopefully that works out. That is very exciting. How uh, are you doing? I am doing all right. Uh, My kids are back to school now. They went back like i don't know a month after yours but they're in school now they're in fifth and second grade and it is nice to be getting back into the routine of things yes uh yeah um and we had some travel in august i think that i told our listeners we were planning to go to greece which we were planning the Mm. passport bureaucracy had other plans in mind for us the the rules about passport expiration dates are a little complicated and we misunderstood them and got to the airport and found out that our passports were expiring a few days too early. You need a full three months after you return from Greece. And yes, so and my passport was good. My husband's passport was good. The kids' passports were due to expire close to the end of November, but it would have it would have had to be December one or later on their passports and and so their passports were like off by a few days and so we got we got turned around at the airport we tried to problem solve for a while and then eventually we took a refund and we booked last minute tri- tickets to San Diego where we went to the zoo it was great nice yeah yeah we went to San Diego for a week with. I'm sure listeners will be shocked. A side trip to Disneyland, which I had never been to. And no Jeopardy this week. Please go through the full comparison. Don't, don't tempt me. It was, it, anyway, it was not the vacation that we planned. 
<laughs> but San Diego, San Diego is great. Disneyland is great. You know, had a had a really lovely time. And Greece, sometime in the future, I guess it's still there. And yeah, it will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be good to go with the kids when they're a little older because mm-hmm. they are they're eight and ten now. And I kept trying to explain to them that we were going to modern Greece. Not ancient Greece. Not ancient Greece. And I'm not sure that they totally got, got it. I, I have a feeling that they were going to be a little disapp- disappointed to arrive in Greece and find that the airplane had not been a time machine, you know? So they get out there like, why are there cars here? <laughs> I think they really like, they, they're so, they're so into, they're both in ancient Greece phases. Mm-hmm. They're so into it. I was like, are they going to be upset that people aren't wearing guidance? Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you they all keep, wearing sandals? Where are the gods? They keep wrapping their bed sheets around themselves, and I'm like, "Oh, you're wearing a toga." They're like a chitin. I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, please. Togas <laughs> are Roman. You, you troglodyte. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll get there someday. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, Jeopardy. Jeopardy um, happened. Yes. Jeopardy happened. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the second chance jamboree. And I had a hard time getting my head around how this is all going to work. But there's there's a helpful graphic on the Jeopardy website. So we're going to do three weeks of second chance uh, for people who did not win any games of Jeopardy. Yes. Each week, there will be nine, nine contestants competing for one slot in the season 37 and 38 champions wild card. Yes. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we will have three different contestants each day. Each game will produce a champion. And then each Thursday and Friday will be a two day total point affair. And then the winner of that goes on to this champions wild card. And then we'll see. I'm not sure how they're structuring the champions wild card. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, it's not clear. Yeah. Um, But it is going to happen eventually. Yes. And the writer's strike continues. It does indeed. So they're using recycled material for this tournament, jamboree, whatever. Although, like, clearly, like, clearly some of these clues are new, right? Like, we've got something about the Barbie movie. Like, just even looking at, like, the Monday game. So, like, I'm curious yeah. how this is working behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to... I mean, they're they're probably, understandably, being pretty cagey about it. Right. But... Yeah. Yeah. It was... It, I found it helpful to um, see some commentary. I don't remember where it was specifically. For, like, in which article or, like, tweet or whatever. From Andy at the Jeopardy fan. Mentioning that they also used recycled material during the writer's strike in gosh when was that 2008 2009 yeah, some sometime, sometime in there so you know so this is not a totally new move on jeopardy's part anyway so hey second chance let's get into it monday september 11th we have the contestants Derek allen an accountant originally from Cassopolis, michigan Gabriel Osler, a scriptwriter from Orinda, California, and Jill Tucker, an operations manager from Molino, Oregon. And the Jeopardy round categories are science class, welcome to Miami, a Latin bestiary, sounds like food, world of Barbie, and 
Kin, K-I-N in this case. But it's fun to have Ken introduce. Ken. Ken, Ken. yes. Ken. Yeah. My my husband is from the part of the country where they have what's called the pin-pen merger, where yeah. they don't differentiate between short I and short E. They all kind of come out sounding to me like short I. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make anybody angry, but I would just say because they're saying it the same. No, I think they, no, they are. <laughs> my, I, my, my stepson, Ben, I remember when he was a really little guy, he, I remember him explaining to me that his name is different from, you know, the kind of thing that you keep your Legos in, even though they sound exactly the same. And I was like, Ben doesn't sound anything like Ben. And he's no. like, no, it does. Ben and Ben sound the same. <laughs> um, no, it super yeah. doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, Barry and Barry sound the same. So Because they know. do. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculousness. Ridiculousness we- all around. Regional accents are interesting. That's one way to put it. Yeah. The six hundred dollar clue of Latin bestiary made me made me chuckle. Instead of its deadly moniker, you can call the creature seen here by this four letter Latin name. Uh, they showed a picture. Gabriel got it. That's an orca. Not only because of their recent Twitter support for the the maverick orcas that are (laughs) reclaiming the ocean in the name of sea life. But for some reason, my younger daughter, I guess she learned what an orca is. I don't know. But we, every time we went to a pool this summer, she decided that she was going to orca slam, which means just belly flop. She just runs full tilt and just, just flops right into the water. But she wears like a floaty thing, like like that goes Mm -hmm. across her chest. So I think it breaks the surface tension. So it doesn't hurt. But mm-hmm. she just like just face plants over and over and over again and comes up laughing every time. That's great. And apparently that's an orca slam. Orca in case slam. Was, was, okay. Was wondering. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed the Barbie movie, so it was fun seeing the Barbie category. It it's good that Derek gave the correct response at the six hundred dollar level, but I would have been so tempted to give a joke response in an immersive and interactive experience. You can enter the world of Barbie and visit this iconic home of hers, brought to life. That is, of course, her dream house. There's been a lot of discourse on the internet about the Mojo Dojo Casa House, and oh, the Mojo uh, Dojo. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. When 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 Ken takes over, I would have been I would have been tempted to make a joke, but you can't you can't do can't mess around with joke responses <laughs> before you even roll correct right if you want to and like win the game you gotta yeah you gotta be a little bit more you know controlled yeah all right daily double number one is in science class at the 600 dollar level pick number nine jill finds it she's at 1600 gabriel's at zero derek's at 1800 uh and she wagers all 1600 uh gets the clue Sedimentary deposits near Lake Superior produce the largest U.S. annual yield of hematite, the main ore of this metal. And she doesn't know, Ken, but that is an iron ore. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jill's at 3,400, manages to work her way back. Gabriel's at 2,200. Derek is an elite at 6,200. The double Jeopardy categories are honorary Har- Harlem Globetrotters, historical films, Greek geography, speaking of, Renaissance literature, Mississippi learning, and starts with G. 
we had a rough first clue of the round. The yep. $2,000 level of starts with G, Latin for sword, gives us the name of this flower. Derek rang in first and went for a flower that starts with G, geranium, but that is not related to the Latin word for sword. And then Gabriel remembered the Latin word for sword and tried what is gladius. What's a gladius? And that is is the Latin word for sword or is it related to it, but is not a flower. And then Jill was the one who brought it all together and remembered that a gladiola or gladiolus is a flower. Is a flower. Yep. Yeah. Which is a big swing at the start of the round. Yes. So, yeah. Jill gaining, like, essentially making up $4,000. Mm-hmm. They had a real struggle with the Renaissance literature category. They got the yeah. $400 clue, influenced by Petrarch. Joachim de, de Bellet. I don't know. It's a French name. Brought this poetic form into French with a collection of 50 of them. That's a sonnet. Gabriel got it. But then the others were all triple stumpers. Yeah, I felt for Gabriel, who had the wrong guess at the $1,600 level. Poet Henry Vaughn wrote a book of religious devotions bearing the name of this mount near Jerusalem. Gabriel tried, what is Zion? They were looking for the Mount of Olives here. And Zion is a mount near Jerusalem. And often the term Zion is used as a stand-in for the city of Jerusalem kind of poetically throughout the Bible. And so, you know, that that's a that's a very natural answer. And I that's what I would have guessed. I'm not sure if there's a way to know that it's the Mount of Olives from the clue other than just knowing, knowing that it. particular work of literature, which is yeah. not, you know, not not an especially well known one. No, yeah. not really. Daily Double 2 is in that Greek geography category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 16. Gabriel finds it. He's at 4600 trailing Jill, who is at 10600 and Derek, who's at 7000 So he wagers 2600 He's looking to move into second place if he gets it correct. And he gets the clue, the setting of plays like Oedipus and Antigone. This Greek city shares its name with a capital city of ancient Egypt. And he immediately said, what is Alexandria? You got to hold back those Alexander related guesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ask Mm -hmm. me how I know. And um, (laughs) Alexandria is incorrect. Thebes is what they were looking for here. Thebes, the other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I missed that was a Thebes question in like yeah, my and first I, or second episode, or was that our episode? It was it was our episode, and I had rung mm. in with Alexandria in my brain, and you oh. beat me on the buzzer. Buzzer, you said you said Memphis, said Memphis, right? Yeah. And I was like, I, I like had like a like a panic freeze, right? Like I should have known. Okay, the other one, right? But like, I just had that like, oh no, what did I almost do? Mm-hmm. And then like, and then we got the ignorance tone. So we I did get the ignorance tone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, D- daily double number three is in the historical films category at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number twenty. Jill finds it. She's at eleven thousand four hundred. Gabriel's at thirty two hundred. Derek is at seven thousand. She wagers four thousand. It's a clue. As her Natalie Portman says, there won't be another Camelot. And Jill gets it correct with who is Jacqueline Kennedy in Jackie. I had no idea and was thinking Guinevere. <laughs> I was like, no clue. Because I never remember that Camelot is Jacqueline. Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, there will never be another one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But hey, good for Jill. 
<laughs> so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Jill is at 16,200. Derek's at 8,600. Gabriel is at 4,800. So it's, it's not a lot game, but you know, Jill's in a pretty solid position here. The final jeopardy category is British monarchs. And the clue is the most recent British monarch not to succeed a parent or a sibling was this ruler who succeeded an uncle. Gabriel wrote down who is Victoria the second pending yet yet to yet to arrive yes <laughs> yeah so there has there has not yet been a Victoria the second the the two to me looked maybe like I mean, I mean who knows right like it looked sort of scribbled in like like maybe there was like a little like you know panic addition mm-hmm. um, at the end like at the end she, was she the second I don't remember I don't oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go with it yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's and, and Ken, you know, preserving preserving the the suspense, just ruled him incorrect. Mm-hmm. He wagered everything, so he drops to zero. Derek got it correct with Queen Victoria, at which point Ken clarified that you know Gabriel had put the second that made it incorrect. Derek wagered seventy six oh one, bringing him to a dollar above Jill, uh, but Jill got it correct as well. She wagered everything, which everything. was a strategic error. Yeah, don't oh. with a smaller wager. If she, if everyone had missed, she could have been the winner. Right. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. She got it right, and so she gets that finalist slot. That's right. That brings us on to Tuesday when we have the contestants: Susan Schulman, a baker from Greensboro, Vermont; David Mayberry, a magnetics engineer originally from Richmond, Virginia, and Cody Lawrence, an assistant editor from Sherman Oaks, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are the U.S. in 1964, after In Living Color, Pope Everything, (laughs) swear, like, this is recycled material and they still have to pull this nonsense (laughs) with one M in quotation marks. African capital haiku, and that's TBD. T B D will appear throughout their mm-hmm. correct response. The mm category was all food related clues that started uh, with correct responses starting with M. Susan is a baker, so she had some background knowledge in that topic which I think served her well. She got four of four out of the five of those. Yeah. And certainly she probably knew mango. At the oh yeah. I'm sure. 200 just yeah. to get in. And probably some of the other contestants knew some of these other ones, you know, but I think it being her field maybe gave her a little, a little confidence and maybe, maybe she knew all of them and, you know, yeah. yeah. I think we had a quiz question a while back. I think I asked a quiz question about the $800 level of that one. This fancy culinary term refers to a mixture of diced carrots, onions, and celery. That is mirepoix. Yeah. I was reading uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat recently, which is part cookbook, but part kind of, you know, like cooking, like memoir. And I was reading about, you know, that each, many cultures have, you know, a, a a blend of aromatic vegetables that is kind of their their common base with its own name. So, you know, mirepoix for French cuisine, but sofrito in a lot of Spanish cuisine. And then there there were mm. some others listed as well. Um, so it was interesting to kind of think about it from that perspective. Yeah. The African capital 
haiku. It was interesting. It was fun. I'm I'm glad that the contestants all got them because some of them are a bit a bit harder. But you should know your world capitals, like right. just in general. But you know, as we have said many times, Jeopardy contestants often struggle with Africa yep. in general. So it was good to see that they did well. Yeah, absolutely. Daily Double number one is in that African capital haiku category at the $100 level. Cody finds it at pick number 11. He's at 2400 with David at 1600 and Susan at 2200 He wagers everything and gets the clue. Western Port City. It's named for a president. 90s Civil War. And he gets it correct with Monrovia in Liberia. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Cody's at 6,800. David is at 4,200. And Susan is at 7,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are Quite a Fox, The Sporting Life, Influenza, Georgia on My Mind, Play People, and Stuck in the Middle Word with You. We had a triple stumper at the $800 level of Quite a Fox that I don't know if perhaps contestants thought it was too obvious. Clue is General Cornwallis called this commander of the Continental Army the Old Fox. That's George Washington, mm-hmm. who was the commander of the Continental Army. I, I will tell you where my mind went is to the Swamp Fox. Jean Lafitte. Wait, was he also known as the Swamp Fox? I was thinking of... Huh. Is that a different person? Um, I'm thinking of the Swamp Fox from the War of 1812. Ah, I was thinking of Francis Marion, who. Oh, yeah. Was he the one that like the, the there was the Mel Gibson movie? Was that the the Patriot? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Was that based on Francis like, Marion? Is a guy. He yes. Anyway, I was like, there's the swamp fox like figure from the revolutionary war but that Mm -hmm. doesn't really fit and like that's kind of where i got stuck for you know while they while they were trying to puzzle it out so i don't know i don't know if anybody who was on stage went down that particular route or if they just thought you know washington is too obvious or or you know what but who knows huh i really thought jean lafitte was known as a swamp fox but maybe he wasn't maybe i just conflated those two things and I don't know why I did. Hmm. His nickname apparently is just the Terror of the Gulf. The Terror of the Gulf. Well, that's a pretty good nickname, though. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not what I thought it was. Yeah. Anyway, today I learned. Mm-hmm. I can never bring this term to mind when it's time to. The $2,000 level of quite a fox. The 19th century fox sisters played an important role in this ism that gave people hope of communicating with the dead. That's spiritualism, which... As an interesting movement, and then I, like it just the name is too generic. It's too well, yeah, because like being spiritual means a lot of things, right? Yeah, so I can never like I know like I've I've read you know things about that movement. I feel like I know a little bit about it, but then like the name just doesn't match up with it in my mind. Mm-hmm. The six hundred dollar level of Georgia on my mind. I always have to remind myself in early April. Augusta plays host to this. And David got it. That's the Masters. Yes. Now, I know it's always at Augusta, but when I was young, I knew that Augusta is the capital of Maine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, the Masters is played in Maine. 
And then when I was much older, I learned, no, it's played in Georgia. And I'm like, I have to like, I don't know, it's like hardwired into me that it's played in Maine. And I, and I have to remind myself every time, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's in Georgia. Because why would you play golf in Maine? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people do, right? If they're from Maine. Well, like, yeah, but but yeah. they're all sad while they do it. Because it's all like windy and rainy. Yeah. I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm hating on Maine. I have absolutely, I really have no feelings toward Maine at all. I mean, I'm not going to go to bat for Maine here today. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to Maine. I, it's been, one of the few. Yeah. I, I have, I've spent a little bit of time in Maine, but like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it has a lot of coast to it, but like. It does. Yes. Yeah. I, I should, I, I should probably like, I should, I probably shouldn't like hate on Maine but like you're a lot closer to it than I am yeah there's like when you read like old like books set in in Great Britain and like they're always like taking the children to the shore for holidays but like it's cold and it's like you know like the weather is like bracing and it's like they're taking these kids on these like vacations that are going to like i don't even know like build character because it's unpleasant to swim there you know and like i already live too far north for it to be really pleasant to swim like why would i drive four hours north or <laughs> so that those are my oh, those are my thoughts on maine i've heard i've heard acadia national park is nice i have also heard that <laughs> yeah all right daily double number two is in the Georgia on my mind category. It's pick number one. We missed it. It's the $2,000 level. And David finds it. He's at 4,200. Cody's at 6,800. Susan's at 7,000. He bets it all. Gets the clue. In 1998, a National Prisoner of War Museum was dedicated at this site of a notorious military civil war prison. And he gets it correct with what is Andersonville. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,600 level of influenza. David finds this one as well at pick number 12. At this point, he is at 12,800, just 200 ahead of Susan. Cody's back at 6,800. He wagers 4,000. And then I think sort of regrets not wagering more as he sees the clue come out. Early reports of this national flu appeared in the uncensored press of the country, which was neutral in World War One, And he gets it correct. It is the Spanish flu. So going into Final Jeopardy, these are high scores. Cody's in third place at 10,800. Susan is at 18,200. And David is at 24,800. The Final Jeopardy category is mythological places. And the clue is... Paradise Lost says it's aboard and the flood of deadly hate. And in Dante's Inferno, it's fed by a gloomy brook. And they all three got it. Cody wrote, what is the sticks? And he wagered everything. So he doubles up to 21,600. Uh, Susan also got it with what is the river sticks? Wagered 7401. Hmm. Her math might be off. Gets her up to 25,601. I don't know if she was... Not sure which, what math she was doing there. And David also got it correct with what is the sticks. And he wagered a cover bet and a little bit more. One, two, six, six, three. So David is our finalist. Mm-hmm. 
So that brings us to Wednesday, where our contestants are Matt Weirman, an aerospace engineer from La Palma, California, Donna Vorer, a writer and retired educator from Willowbrook, Illinois, and Hari Parameshwaran, a hardware engineer from Cupertino, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are mammals, eyes in your stars. Each of these famous people have a first name beginning with the letter I, not last name. The state of Congress. I'm just a Bill, Billy, or William. <laughs> Straight fire. And three consecutive consonants. Straight fire. Was it just... Straight fire. It's things that are cool. Things that are cool. Okay. I guess. <laughs> I guess like, I guess. I Honestly, I don't know. I don't really get it. <laughs> but that's because I'm old. Yeah. And also, these things aren't that cool. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that anybody who uses the slang term straight fire would be like L'Oreal's colorista. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like that's that's what you use when you're of it. Like, I'm not even sure my generation is using L'Oreal colorista. Maybe we are. I don't know. I don't know. But, like, I feel like that's, like, like a grandma like drugstore brand Mm -hmm. right like that's like yeah but everything old is cool again i don't know that's true the the kids are listening to you know blink 182 or whatever yeah good they should it's great music yeah the 600 dollars level of mammals i totally forgot this I, i don't know if it was you know subconscious or not pan troglodytes is the scientific name for this close relative of humans and bonobos and that is of course a chimp i called you a troglodyte earlier yes and you deserved it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had at the 400 dollar level of mammals the san diego zoo where I just was. Welcome to. Was a question about you? No, much better. Welcome to its first pair of these from Australia: Snuggle Pot and Cuddle Pie, in 1925. And you might be thinking to yourself, "I know that the San Diego Zoo is the only place outside of Australia where there is a live platypus, but that has nothing to do with the fact that these are koalas." Matt Matt tried kangaroos, but Donna got it. They're koalas. You can see koalas at the San Diego Zoo. And the platypus that the San Diego Zoo owns actually is not at the zoo proper. It's at their their safari park, which is like a 45-minute drive away. So I didn't get to see the platypus. But I did get to see the koalas. They're adorable. They're so cute. They're so cute. Oh, my gosh. Koalas are so cute. I understand koalas are mean, though. They did not look mean to me. (laughs) They weren't mean, Muggin? No. No, they were they looked well, they looked adorable and I assume that you can tell by looking. I assume that as well. Yeah. That's how I make all of my judgments. Judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. How else are we supposed to? Yes. Yeah. No, they looked they looked adorable and they looked like they wanted to come home with me. Um, I'm sure they did. Yes. <sighs> oh <laughs> I I have all all I want to do is connect clues to comedy bits of the $600 level of I'm just a Bill, Billy, or William. Billy Joel's time playing a lounge in LA led to this. Billy's first top 40 hit, great tune, but tonic and gin still sounds weird. Yes, yes, it does. Donna got it. It is Piano Man. Um, There's some great, like, 
I saw it on TikTok, but it might be out in other places as well. Um, it's like a somebody like I don't know what, what you like. They did like they used like they they digitally edited edited Piano Man so that it is a song about Piano Man, and it is so funny. <laughs> I have not come across it's this. So good, <laughs> sir. I believe this is Piano Man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's great. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Well, I'll have to find yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Daily double number one is in I'm just a Bill Billy or William at the $800 level. So it's the next clue down from Piano Man. Donna finds it at pick number seven. She's at 600. Hari's at 2400. Matt is at negative 800. She wagers 800. Gets a clue, William Thompson is a fine name for a physicist, but after developing the absolute temperature scale, Lord, this had a nice ring. And she gets it correct with what is Lord Kelvin. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hari's at 5,000, Donna's at 7,000, Matt is at 3,000. Nice round numbers. The double Jeopardy category is to Sir Paul with love. C's the day, uh, the letter C in quotation marks. Also a candy. Pueblos Magicos, or Magic Cities, as designated by the Mexican government. Uh, and we have a novel title and 15 letter words. There's no way that Congratulations has as many letters as Bioluminescence. <laughs> There's absolutely no <laughs> way that's seems true. like it should, right? Or pre- that cannot, Prestidigitator. That cannot <laughs> or, pre- yeah, Prestidigitator. By the way, good job to Hari for coming up with Ledger Domain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good word. Great word. So proud of him for having that on the tip of his tongue. Very unfortunate. Uh, similarly, Hari, like, he had, he had so many good but wrong guesses. The $1,600 level of And We Have a Novel Title. This numeric title required that each censored letter bear the censoring officer's name. And he tried 1984, which, you know, like... That quote has like kind of a dystopian kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. censorship, um, yeah, censorship, bureaucracy, right? Like those are those those themes feel like they work, but it was catch 22. Donna got the rebound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was not aware that in Hey Jude. From the $1,200 clue mm-hmm. of To Sir Paul with Love. Deep in the mix and perhaps making a mistake just before the na-na-na part, a beetle exclaims, bleep in hell on this classic. <laughs> I, I need to go back and listen to it now. Yeah. I think usually by that point, I'm I'm just, you know, if you're with a group of people, then you're about to get into it. Or if I'm by myself, I'm about to skip. Yep. Because I don't want to sit and listen to literally as much time there is so as much the rest of the song it's half it is 50 percent of the of the song it was i think it was 2007 a friend said to me you know if you ever go sing karaoke and you decide that it would be good to sing hey jude you'll be surprised to find out how long the na na na's go on <laughs> you know because he had just been through this you know, had to had to hang in there. But since then, I have had numerous opportunities to see people make that mistake. They just go on forever. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if for a karaoke mix, maybe you just cut it. Yeah. Maybe you just stop. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That would be the move. But I don't know. 
Like, I think that <laughs> if you're drunk enough, you don't notice. Yeah, I, I think I mean, usually this comes up like in like, you know, in like, you know, karaoke rooms where like we have control of the machine. But uh, I think I think karaoke DJs like making people kind of suffer through it. Like, OK, dude. You're gonna sing, "Hey Jude." You All right, to, we're, you, your song, your song. All right, here we go. The whole thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Daily double number two is in also a candy, which has been a fun category at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number ten. Donna finds it. She is at eleven thousand eight hundred in a solid lead with Hari at five thousand and Matt at seven thousand. She wagers three thousand and she gets the clue. NASA called the activity in this type of galaxy. There's a picture reminiscent of the end of a pyrotechnics show. And Donna falls for the neg bait here, comes up with a candy that has to do with a galaxy and says, what is a Milky Way? Uh, but that is incorrect. This is a starburst galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in, and we have a novel title at the $1,200 level. Donna also finds this one. Mm-hmm. So she found all three. Uh, she's at 12800 Hari's at 6200 Matt's at 11000 She wagers 5000 Gets the clue. She clutched the child so fiercely to her breast that it sent forth a cry. She turned her eyes downward at this symbol. And she doesn't know. She guesses what is the grapes of wrath, but that's Mm -hmm. the scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah. So Donna ends up overall losing 7,200 on daily daily doubles. And at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Hari's at 7,800, Donna at 8,200, Matt at 15,000. And the final Jeopardy category is artists with the clue on October 26, 1886. He said, the dream of my life is accomplished. I see the symbol of unity and friendship between two nations. So Hari got it correct with who is Bartholdi, the sculptor of the Statue of Liberty. He wagered everything. Brings him up to 15,600. Donna, I love this, has who is Statue of Liberty guy. Yeah. <laughs> with what with an open parenthesis around statue right like Mm -hmm. like she's been hoping that the name would come to her and then she could have statue of liberty guy under in parentheses under underneath like she's glossing it for us yeah (laughs) but bartoldi did not come to her and they can't give her credit for statue of liberty guy she gets credit in my heart though yeah um oh she earned it for sure Yeah, yeah yeah She wagered 7401. That drops her to 799. So she is definitely not getting that wild card slot. And then Matt tried who is Laboul. I don't know if he was thinking of a specific French name or the way that I sort of imagine this going down is that he's like, it's got, it's got, it starts with a B or it's got a B in it. Right. And then you like throw mm-hmm. like a little French prefix on there. Like, yeah, you're like how, you, how would a, how would a French sounding name at like, like it's gotta be let's go with that. He's wagered 1701, which drops him to 13,299. And so Hari comes from third place for the win. And, and so he'll, he'll head into the finals on Thursday. Yeah. And so we get the finals of week one with Hari 
Parameshwaran, mm-hmm. a hardware engineer from Cupertino, California, Jill Tucker, an operations manager from Moulineau, Oregon, and David Maybury, a magnetics engineer originally from Richmond, Virginia. And the Jeopardy round categories are reconstruction. Let's see how you do with American football. The Ohio University's biology, the 2023 Time 100, and let's see with S-E-E in quotation marks. I love the $400 clue of Ohio University's Bucktel College, open in 1872, is now called the University of this rubber capital of the world. I love, I love that claim. That's Akron. I don't know why. It just feels like a, I don't know, I've, I've been to Akron once. It's a fine place. Like, it's a, it's a city. Mm-hmm. I just love that, you know, rubber capital of the world, Akron, Ohio. Yeah. If you had said to me, where do you think the rubber capital of the world is? I think that I would have guessed somewhere tropical where rubber is like, like from trees, right? I read something like, I read a book a while back about like, you know, the legacy of like forced labor in the Congo, in in Congo and Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so like, and like the rubber production there. So like, if you'd asked me where the rubber capital of, of the world was, I'm not sure where I would have guessed, but not Ohio. Not Ohio. Not Ohio. No, not at all. Yeah. The $1,000 level of reconstruction. I This person came up like multiple times recently. Like, I, I, in, I don't know why, but in just various places, I was confronted with this confronted mm. i would i was shown this person and and his name in 2023 uss chancellorsville was renamed after this black civil war hero and reconstruction era congressman and that's robert smalls mm-hmm. um, which i i now knew because i came like i just kind of stumbled into that person and i don't know why or how yeah maybe because it was the the recent renaming of the chancellorsville yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about him. I don't I don't really either other than his name and like those facts. Yeah. You know. Ken Ken noted that he has an amazing story. So yeah. hmm. that's something to look into for sure. Daily double number two is in the Ohio universities at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number twenty, Jill finds it. She's at a thousand with David at seventy eight hundred and Hari at sixteen hundred. She makes it a true daily double, which is definitely the right move in this situation, and gets the clue in twenty twelve. This Ohio University opened its May fourth visitors center to to place a nineteen seventy event in historical, political, and social context, and she gets it correct with Kent State. Okay. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, David's in the lead with. 9,400. Jill is at 2,800. Hari is at 2,200. And the double jeopardy categories are reconstruction, same category title, you know, different, different meaning here. Pop culture, alliterative geography, hip hop literary references, speechifying with ing in quotation marks, and such colorful language. We had a triple stumper at the $2,000 level of speechifying that I thought was interesting. Emmeline Pankhurst, to the shame of the British government, they set the example of 
blank sane resisting human beings by force and Hari tried what's denying Emmeline Pankhurst was she was a like a suffragette right or was yeah so yeah so she was she was she was a suffragette and so you need what the connection you need to make here is that a major tactic of the women's suffrage movement was hunger strikes so feeding is what they were looking for here and you know if you if you recognize the name you can get there but it's a it's a tricky one if you don't have that context yeah we had the second reference to Hearst yeah. this week in the alliterative geography category. The $1,200 clue, this California place is home to Piedras Blancas Light Station and, of course, Hearst Castle. Hari got it. That's San Simeon. And earlier in the week, Hearst was a correct response. Something about the his father owning the San Francisco Examiner. Or yeah. Mm-hmm. $1,200 clue of reconstruction. I also thought was interesting. This great structure in Janae, Molly, is rebuilt every year by the community. Hari got that. That's the Great Mosque. I also got that Daily Double in my first game of Jeopardy. Oh, I had forgotten that one. I also don't know a whole lot about the Great Mosque, though. I also don't know much about it, other than it's in Janae. Mm -hmm. And that it's a uh, wonder in Civilization V. Ah, there we go. And that's how I know that it exists. Yep. Oh, we had a tough, tough miss rebound in the hip hop literary references. Mm. $1,600 uh, level. This rapper and Law and Order SVU actor titled his spoken word track Soul on Ice after Eldridge Cleaver's memoir. Hari guessed who is Ice Cube, but in fact, that is Ice T. Jill got the rebound. Mm-hmm. But nobody embarrassed themselves by guessing Vanilla Ice. So that's a good point. We're all good. <laughs> Yes, yeah. could have been worse. Yeah. All right, daily double number two is pick number two in the round. It's in alliterative geography at the $1,600 level. Hari finds it. He is at 2200 David's at 9400 Jill's at 2800 And he wagers everything and gets a clue called Stingray Harbor by James Cook in 1770. It was renamed for the abundance of new plants found there. And he gets correct with what is Botany Bay. Mm-hmm. And Jill is the one who finds daily double number three, pick number 11 at the $2,000 level of pop culture. She's at 4,800 with David at 14,200 and Hari at 8,400. She makes it a true daily double. It is her second true daily double of the game. And she gets the clue. John Ford directed the Oscar winning 1942 documentary battle of this locale at which Ford found himself wounded. And she gets it correct with Midway. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, David's in the lead at 17,000. Jill is at six, 13,600 and Hari is at 9,600. The final jeopardy category is world capitals. And the clue is in English name of one of the two four letter capitals with the same first and last letter. One in the northern and one in the southern hemisphere. I thought this was kind of a awkwardly worded yeah, clue. Yeah, I completely misunderstood what it was asking for. I yeah, I thought both capitals had to have the same f- first and last, like as each other. Right. Yes. No. I, I thought, thought okay, you know, like for. Rome starts with R and ends with E, so maybe there is another capital that is four letters starts with R, ends with E. Exactly. That's that is exactly mm-hmm. what I thought too. Yeah. 
Hari, guess what is Doha? It's a four-letter capital. That's incorrect. He wagered 8,000, so he drops down to 1,600. Jill got it correct with what is Oslo. That's the one in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Apia, or A-P-I-A, is how it's spelled. The capital Mm -hmm. of Samoa, apparently, is the one in the Southern Hemisphere. So they did not have to have the same letter as each other. Right. Uh, Anyway, Jill got it correct. Wagered 6,000, goes up to 19,600. And David started writing something, looks like Lisbon, but that is incorrect. He wagered 10,272. So he drops to 6,728. But of course, it is a two-day total point affair. So Friday's game will determine the winner. And so that brings us to Friday. We have the same three contestants. So probably I don't need to say their full names and professions again but Hari's at 1600 Jill is at 19600 David is at 6728 we're going to take those subtotals set them to the side and we'll add them back in at the end uh, as we head into the second day of this two day total point affair where the jeopardy round categories are in your element building america agatha all along songbirds cat lovers and fire z Am I missing something with the category titles here? Fire Z, I don't I, I'm whatever it is, I'm not aware of it. I don't know what the Fire Z is, but Yeah. Alright. Well maybe if there's something funny happening with the category titles, somebody will tell me, or maybe the writers are on strike. That could be it. That could be it. Also, if the writers were not on strike, I somehow doubt that we would have the two hundred dollar level of Building America on the same board as the eight hundred dollar level of Fire Z. Two hundred dollar level of Building America was home to the Los Angeles Philharmonic. The striking concert hall scene here is named for this man. That's Walt Disney. And then at the eight hundred dollar level of Fire Z, deny the Z of a ballroom dance, and it becomes this first name of a nineteenth century U.S. poet. That is Walt from waltz and those are just a little closer to one another than the writers normally let themselves put on the same board yeah ideally those would find themselves in different games yeah just just for the sake of just avoiding confusion at the very least Mm -hmm. of like didn't i just say this did someone just say that yep yeah the did someone just say that phenomenon is It's, it's hard it's difficult yeah can mess you up Am I correct in remembering that the Mousetrap was the longest running show in the world? Um, That sounds right. That's the $1,000 level of Agatha all along. More than 460 actors and actresses have appeared in this play that originated as as a request of the BBC for Queen Mary. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that is the Mousetrap. David got that. Yeah. Makes sense, given how long it ran. Yeah, it is still running. The longest running West End show, by far the longest run of any play in the world. It seems like it's past 29,000 performances. Wikipedia was updated last November as it was at 28,915. I haven't seen it. Oh, neither have I. But it was in. On West End or elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was I think it was in the West End forever, but yeah. yeah. Building America the $800 level, you know, Chicago people are going to are going to say what they're what they're going to say. On a clear day, you can see Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan from the sky deck of this building on South Wacker Drive. David said, "What is what is now called the Willis Tower?" 
uh, which is which is good. That's smart because you're getting it right and also recognizing the fact that it is in fact the Sears Tower. Right. Do you, do you think they would have taken the Sears Tower? I think when I, Ken supplies it, that makes me think yes. I th- I mean probably. Yeah. But I'm also like that's I mean that's if we're going to be sticklers about like facts and such. Yeah. It's not the Sears Tower now. Right. You know, technically. So. Yep. I don't know. I, I'm curious whether they would have taken the Sears Tower, but we'll just have to wait until somebody makes that mistake. Right. To find out. All right. Daily Double number one is in Songbirds at the $1,000 level. Pick number nine. David uncovers it. He is at 2000 Jill is at 800 Hari is at 2400 He wagers all of it and gets the clue. In the 1960s, Fleetwood Mac had an international hit with their song about one of these seabirds. Coleridge put one in a poem, and he gets it correct with what is an albatross. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, David is at 6400 Jill's at 3000 Hari has made a move up to 6800 And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Monet Monet, Currency, from B to F, B in quotation marks and F in quotation marks, Celeb Lit Before and After, Thirst, and Trap. Had a just a disappointing triple stumper at the $2,000 level of that before and after category. Rowling's whiz kid has trouble with a certain rock and a chilly WWE star. I mean, we could probably get Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but nobody got Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Yeah, that's such a fun one. I mean, that would be... Who's the author who does, like, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and... Oh, and yeah. Kind of that, that feels like something that someone, you know, like that would do, you know? Mm-hmm. We had two Dickens titles in here. We did. Yeah. Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone, for an iconic comedian and Eunice in Mama's Family. That is a Christmas Carol Burnett. David got that one. Mm -hmm. And then the $400 level last week tonight host who learns the inside scoop on pickpocketing from Fagin. That is John Oliver Twist. I was surprised to see Dickens in there twice. Yeah. But I got them both, so. So that's good. Yeah. Maybe that is, you know, indicative of the writer's strike. Yes. I think it was on the podcast that Paul Blart Mall Cop came up and I was like, literally never heard of him. You've, oh, maybe, I think we, yes, I, I think we I have, have now. That. I, yeah, I recognized it as, oh, like we talked about that and I was like, you're making up a movie. <laughs> I would never, I would <laughs> never make up anything yeah. to trick anyone. Mm hmm. Um, not Paul Blart Mall Cop. Yeah. Paul Blart portrayer takes a ride on a really big piece of fruit. That's Kevin James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> I don't think I'd watch that. Yeah. Or read it, I guess. Yeah. We find Daily Double number two at the $1,600 level of Trap. Hari uncovers it. It's pick number nine. He is at 15600 at this point, he's way up. David is at 7,600. Jill's at 5,000. He wagers 5,000. And he gets the clue. In World War One. the Lost Battalion lacked food and medical supplies while trapped behind enemy lines in this forest. He tries, what are the Ardennes? But we are looking for the Argonne here. Yeah. 
close. Yeah. yeah. And daily double number three is the next pick. Mm-hmm. It's over in the $1,600 level of Thirst. So Hari finds it. He just dropped 5,000. Everything else is the same. He wagers 3,000 on this one, gets the clue. Excessive thirst may be a symptom of high blood sugar, also known by this 13-letter name. And he's already demonstrated a, a command of long words. Hmm. And he gets it correct with what is hyperglycemia. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Hari is still in the lead with 19,200. David's made it up to 14,800. And Jill is at 7,800. The final Jeopardy category is astronomy. And the clue is the only dwarf planet located in the inner solar system. It's named for an ancient deity of planting and harvests. Jill tried what is Demeter. That is not correct, but she also wagered nothing. So she she stands pat and her 7,800 is added to, oh gosh, whatever she was that I said earlier, bringing her up to 27,400 for the two-day total point affair. David figured it out. What is Ceres? I know the dwarf planets because my kid went through like an astronomy thing, you know? I mean, maybe I would anyway, because I'm a nerd, but <laughs> there was there was like a short obsession with Ceres and Eris and Haumea. And yeah, so Ceres is the one. His wager is 14,800, giving him 29,600 for this game and 36,328 for the two-day total point affair. And Hari got it correct as well, uh, wagering 16,000, which brings him up to 35,200 for the day. And 36,800 for the win. Yeah. So he comes from a pretty distant Distant third third. to get that wild card, champion's wild card spot. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the week. We'll do this whole pattern again next week and then we'll do it again the week after with, with second chance competitors. I kind of like this. I kind of like this format where it's tournament-ish, but they keep it all within what within the week, right? Yeah. Like Monday to Friday, we've kind of had a narrative arc. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, I I find it, I don't know, refreshing, easy to follow, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I do. I like it too. Yeah. So, so hey, this is the point in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And you can go there if you want to help us out with the costs of making the podcast. And I remember that I still owe you all a story time about the time I found a Luger gun in the church. So... <laughs> But we we have other stuff on there besides the long promised as yet undelivered story time. We try and put our quiz questions up there every week after we record while we're editing and so on. So that if you are a Patreon supporter, you get a chance to see those and try your hand at them while we're getting the podcast ready to go live. And we really appreciate all of you who are helping us to not lose money. <laughs> on our hosting and our software and all of that kind of thing. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And and thank you for sticking through uh, with us through our unannounced hiatus. Yes. Yes. I know you're, you know, from, from a purely capitalistic perspective, you were throwing money at something that was not providing a product. So we appreciate 
that as well. Yeah, definitely. And there are other things in the world that are more important than than our podcast. So we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that. And we put some of the causes that we care about in the show notes. So Kyle, do you have a guess about what we're talking about today? I have five. Okay. Can I do three of those five? Yes. Okay. I think three is a good number. Yeah. I mean, it's a new season. We want to, you know, change things up Mm -hmm. by doing exactly the same thing that we have done for the last four years. Yeah. The people, the people like consistency. Do they, do they, I don't know. I like consistency. Well, you know what? Anyone can let us know on any platform if they like consistency or not. And we will, I don't know, maybe do something about it. Maybe not. My first guess is Robert Smalls. Your first guess is correct. Yeah. I mean, it it felt, it just felt right after our conversation of like, yeah, this is someone we should know (laughs) and we should talk about him when we have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So, I mean, when we came across that clue, I was like, yeah, obviously the deep dive should be about him. Also, there were not actually that many triple stumpers this week. No, there weren't. Looking through it, that's why I, I, I legitimately only came up with five possible like th- things. So yeah. Some weeks uh-huh. it's like, man, there, there are like five per episode and I don't know where to go, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the the contestants did a pretty solid job answering the answering the questions this week, which narrowed down my options. But hey, we had Robert Smalls, and I did not know a single thing about him, and he's a really interesting figure. I also asked my South Carolinian husband, who South Carolina, you have to take South Carolina state history. I was like, have you heard of this man? And he's like, I have not. So, <laughs> how about that? Yeah, so we should we should all learn something about Robert Smalls. It was in the Thursday game, Jeopardy round reconstruction at the $1,000 level. In 2023, USS Chancellorsville was renamed after this Black Civil War hero and Reconstruction era congressman. And uh, nobody tried that. That, of course, is Robert Smalls, who was born in 1839 to Lydia. I don't know if you pronounce the last name like the vocabulary vocabulary word, like the English word polite. It's spelled like polite. Hmm. Maybe it's Paulet or I don't know when it's a last name. Anyway, she was a woman enslaved by Henry McKee in Beaufort, South Carolina. And I know you do pronounce Beaufort, South Carolina as Beaufort, even though it looks like it should be Beaufort. Beaufort. It's Beaufort. Smalls was favored by McKee over other enslaved people who McKee had on his on his property. His mother worried that he might not understand fully the plight of enslaved people. And so she made sure that that was part of his upbringing. She took him to witness public whippings. She asked for him to be sent to work in the fields because she did not want his particular circumstances to sugarcoat his understanding of of slavery. When he was 12, he was sent to Charleston to hire out as a laborer. He was paid $16 a week, 15 of which were to be returned to Henry McKee, and one of which he was allowed to keep each week. So in Charleston, he found work on Charleston's docks and wharves, working as a longshoreman, rigger, and sailmaker, 
and eventually working his way up to becoming a wheelman, basically a helmsman, although enslaved people were not allowed to have that title, but that is the work that he was doing. All of this made him very knowledgeable about Charleston Harbor. That's going to come up in a minute. At age 17, he married Hannah Jones, an enslaved hotel maid in Charleston. That was on Christmas Eve, 1856. She was five years older than him and had two daughters. And then they went on to have children of their own. Their first child, Elizabeth Lydia Smalls, was born February 1858. Three years later, they had a son, Robert Jr., who died at age two. Smalls, Robert Smalls wanted to buy the freedom of his family, purchasing them even while still enslaved himself, which would have been unusual. Yeah. But yeah, not completely unheard of from what I understand. But the price was set at $800, and he had managed only to save up 100 a dollar at a time from the work that he was doing. In the fall of 1861, he was assigned to steer the CSS Planter. Civil War had broken out. He was steering this lightly armed Confederate military transport under the command of Charleston's district commander, Brigadier General Roswell S. Ripley. And from Charleston Harbor, the crew of the planter, including Robert Smalls could see the line of federal blockade ships in the outer harbor seven miles away. So in April 1862, he began to plan an escape. He discussed the matter with all the other enslaved people in the crew, except for one whom he didn't trust to keep it quiet. Yeah, he's a narc. Yeah, snitches, you know. And they began to watch for their opportunity. So on May 12th, the planter traveled to nearby Coles Island to pick up four large guns for transport. And then back in Charleston, it was loaded with 200 pounds of ammunition, as well as a large quantity of firewood. And that evening, the planter was docked as usual at the wharf below General Ripley's headquarters. The three white officers disembarked to spend the night ashore, leaving Smalls and the crew on board, as was their custom. Before the officers departed, Smalls asked the captain, Relia, if the if the crew's families could visit, uh, which was occasionally allowed, um, and he approved on condition that they depart before curfew. So when the families arrived, the men revealed the plan to them, which caused some alarm. It was a risky plan, you know, mm-hmm. understandably so. But they, they came around and, and were ready. At some point... Three crew members pretended to escort the family members back home, but then circled around and hid aboard another steamer. And at about 3 a.m. on now May 13th, because we passed midnight, Smalls and seven of the eight enslaved crewmen made their escape to the Union blockade ships. So Smalls put on the captain's uniform and a straw hat similar to the captain's hat. He sailed the planter past what was then called Southern Wharf and stopped at another wharf to pick up his wife and children and the families of the other crewmen who had been hidden aboard this other steamer. And then he guided the ship past the five Confederate harbor forts without incident. Yeah, there were like, there were various signals 
uh, to communicate with these forts. Uh, so he had learned or memorized the right signals and gave the right the right steam whistle signals at checkpoints. Uh, the planter sailed past Fort Sumter at about 4.30 a.m. Uh, it was the most heavily armed of the Confederate forts um, and tended to be manned by the most suspicious soldiers. So Fort Sumter was of particular concern. As the planter approached the fort, several men urged Smalls to give it a wide berth, you know, to really, you know, kind of steer steer clear. Mm-hmm. And Smalls refused, saying that that would arouse suspicion. And so he steered the ship along its normal path slowly as though, you know, everything were normal. And flying casual. Yep. Fort Sumter flashed the challenge signal and Smalls gave the right response signals. There was a long pause. They thought that Fort Sumter was about to open fire, but finally the fort signaled that all was well and Smalls sailed his ship along out of the harbor. Um, And so the alarm was only raised after the ship was beyond gun range when Smalls turned instead of, I think there was like an island that they could have been turning toward to, I think, deliver their supplies. And instead they turned toward the Union Navy fleet and replaced the ship's rebel flags uh, with a white bed sheet. Nice. Yeah. Um, So they were sailing toward the Union Navy. The Union Navy did not know what was going on. So the USS Onward was, and it it was not fully light outside yet. The USS Onward was preparing to fire on the ship when eventually through the darkness and, you know, fog and whatever, they saw the white flag. And a witness who was on board the Onward reports, one of the colored men stepped forward and taking off his hat shouted, good morning, sir. I've brought you some of the old United States guns, sir. (laughs) Um, so the onwards captain john frederick nichols boarded the planter smalls asked for a united states flag to display and he surrendered the plant surrendered the planter and its cargo to the u.s navy the the ship itself and a description of smalls actions were forwarded by nichols to his commander captain e.g parrot while the ship and the artillery it carried were valuable assets even more valuable were the documents on board, the captain's code book containing the Confederate signals and a map of the mines and torpedoes that had been laid in Charleston's harbor. Ooh, nice. Yes. Also on board, of course, was Robert Smalls himself with his extensive knowledge of the Charleston region's waterways and military configurations. So Captain Parrott forwarded the planter to Flag Officer Samuel Francis DuPont at Port Royal, and Smalls gave detailed information about Charleston's defenses to DuPont, who was the commander of the blockading fleet. Federal officers were surprised to learn from Smalls that only a few thousand troops remained in the in Charleston to protect the area. They had they had assumed that it was many more, but many of those troops had been sent on to Tennessee and Virginia. The intelligence that Smalls provided allowed Union forces to capture Coles Island and its string of batteries without a fight on May 20th, a week after Smalls's escape. And the Union would hold the Stono Inlet as a base for the remaining three years of the Civil War. Smalls quickly became known in the North as a hero. He was invited to travel to New York to help raise money for formerly enslaved people. But DuPont vetoed the proposal, wanting Smalls, you know, kind of his expertise on the ground. And Smalls began to serve the Union Navy, especially with his detailed knowledge of mines laid near Charleston. Smalls did go to Washington, D.C. in August 1862, 
with the encouragement of Major General David Hunter, the Union commander at Port Royal, along with, I think there were other people involved in that in that trip, but they wanted to persuade Lincoln and Secretary of War Edwin Stanton to permit African-American men to fight for the Union. And Stanton soon signed an order permitting up to 5,000 Black soldiers to enlist in the Union forces at Port Royal. Smalls worked with the Navy until March 1863, when he was transferred to the Army, piloting boats for both branches. There's some ambiguity about his status with the military. And we'll, we'll get to that, this question of, you know, what was his role exactly? Was he a civilian? What did he think? What did the leadership think? He went to Philadelphia supporting what was known as the Port Royal Experiment, an effort to raise money to support the education of formerly enslaved people, and began there to learn to read and write himself. He went in December 1864. He brought the planter to support Sherman's army in Savannah, Georgia, and then returned with the planter to Charleston Harbor in 18, April 1865 for the ceremonial raising of the American flag at Fort Sumter at the end of the Civil War. Mm. He continued to pilot the planter, serving a humanitarian mission of taking food and supplies to freedmen who had lost their homes and livelihood, livelihoods during the war. And on September 30, the planter entered the service of the Freedmen's Bureau. So Smalls's position... There were disputes and critiques about his position and the compensation that he received for capturing the planter. He obviously did not have the typical training associated with military roles. And so the military understood him to be a civilian, but there he was there was confusion. He understood himself to have received a commission and, you know, certainly was, you know, trusted with work that was the work that he was doing. It's not typical civilian work, right? Like no. <laughs> no. But but he hadn't been to the right kinds of military schools and been through the processes, right? Like there are protocols or whatever. So he understood himself to have been commissioned. He was a war hero. Um, but you know, he he didn't fit into sort of the bureaucracy of the US military. And so there was confusion about that. And ultimately, in 1897, a special act of Congress granted Smalls a pension um, of $30 a month, which is equal to the pension of a Navy captain, sort of in recognition that like that was the work that he had done for his country. But there was there was a bunch of back and forth about this before that. The other thing is that during discussion of a bill to put Smalls on the Navy retired list in 1883. A report stated that the 1862 appraisal of the planter was absurdly low and that a fair valuation would have been over 60000 Yeah, Smalls had been paid a reward of $1,500 dollars and I, i'm not i'm not entirely sure what kind of recompense a person is like supposed to receive for capturing a confederate ship <laughs> but he was paid an additional 3500 to bring his compensation for that up to 5000 at that time uh, many still felt that this was less than he was due um anyway Immediately following the war, Smalls returned to his native Beaufort, uh, where he purchased his former master's house at 511 Prince Street, which Union tax authorities had seized in 1863 for refusal to pay taxes. Uh, there was a subsequent 
court case about that which Smalls won. Uh, His mother, Lydia, lived with him for the remainder of her life. He also allowed his former enslaver's wife, the elderly Jane McKee, to move into her former home where he and his family, which he and his family, I I believe, were living in at the time prior to her death. In 1866, he went into business in Beaufort they, with, with Richard Howell Gleaves, a Philadelphia businessman. They opened a store there to serve the needs of freedmen. Smalls also hired a teacher to help him in his, in his pursuit of literacy. A couple of other entrepreneurial ventures for him. In 1870, he formed the Enterprise Railroad with some partners, an 18-mile horse-drawn railway line that carried cargo and passengers between the Charleston Wharves and inland depots. Smalls also owned and helped publish a newspaper at the Beaufort Southern Standard starting in 1872. But then we move into kind of the political part of his career. He was a delegate delegate at the 1868 South Carolina Constitutional Convention, where he worked to make free compulsory public schooling available to all South Carolina children. It was the first state to do so, and Smalls was instrumental in that. In 1868, he was elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives, and then in 1870, he was elected to complete a partial state Senate term. A seat was left empty by a senator becoming a state Supreme Court justice, and he was elected to fill that seat. And then he won the 1872 election two years later. Not too long after that, he moved into national politics. He was elected to the United States House of Representatives, representing South Carolina's 5th Congressional District in 1875. After the Compromise of 1877, which we talked about a little bit when we were talking about Rutherford B. Hayes way back, the U.S. government withdrew its remaining forces from South Carolina and other southern states. And as part of wide-ranging efforts by the Democratic Party to reduce African-American political power, Smalls was charged and convicted of taking a bribe five years earlier in connection with the awarding of a printing contract. Sure. Yeah. He was pardoned as part of an agreement where charges were also dropped against Democrats accused of election fraud. And then the scandal took a political toll on him. So he was defeated by Democrat George Tillman in 1878. So his congressional term ended in 1879. He lost again in 1880. And then he was elected to Congress again in 1882. And then that was the that was South Carolina's fifth congressional district. Redistricting happened then. South Carolina got very gerrymandered. And he then became the he was elected the representative from the seventh congressional district and served in that capacity 1884 to 1887. In 1890, he was appointed by President Benjamin Harrison as collector of the Port of Beaufort, a position that he held until 1913, except during Grover Cleveland's second term. Uh, He was a delegate to the 1895 South Carolina Constitutional Convention, where with five other Black delegates, he strongly imposed the Democratic delegates who were writing in effective disenfranchisement 
of Black citizens via literacy tests and those kinds of things mm-hmm. into the proposed constitution. Despite his best efforts, he was, you know, they were they were greatly outnumbered and the, the new constitution was adopted. In the late 1890s, Smalls began to suffer from diabetes. He turned down an offer of a colonelcy, an African-American regiment in the Spanish-American War, turned down an appointment to the position of minister to Liberia, both probably for, for healthy reasons, and lived until 1915, when he died of malaria and diabetes at the age of 75. The state of South Carolina was not always that great to Robert Smalls, but does recognize Robert Smalls Day every May 13th. His mm. Yeah, the Robert Smalls House in Beaufort has been designated a National Historic Landmark. I had only heard of Robert Smalls once I once I started looking him up. I remembered that I had seen like some memes going around, being like, "Why is why are there no movies about this man?" Great news! There should hopefully soon be some movies about this man. Amazon Yay. announced in 2019 that it was developing a biopic with director Charles Burnett in 2021. It was announced that Malcolm Mays was rewriting the script, and also there is another biopic in development entitled Defiant. So hopefully one or both of those projects will come to fruition because it is a really cool story. And like, yeah. you can you can hear how it would work as a movie, right? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. just, yeah, the if it's only the escape, right? Yeah. Just that is like a, like a cinematic thriller. Yeah. That's it's, like... It's going yeah. to be great. I really hope they do it. And that brings us to 2023, when the Navy renamed the USS Chancellorsville to USS Robert Smalls. There was another renaming that happened at that time, both of them renaming vessels that were named after things asso- people or things associated with the Confederacy to, in this case, recognize Robert Smalls. The other one was named after like an ocean cartographer whose whose work was really important. Yeah. So yeah, that's Robert Smalls. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Such that, a cool guy. Very cool guy. And I'm glad that I know more about him now. Yeah. I really hope they make the movie because, yeah. you know, it's great. It's great. All right. Well, I wasn't quite sure what direction to take this quiz. And then, you know, I came back to the original missed Jeopardy clue about the Navy Navy renaming this vessel. And I thought, you know what? Let's have a quiz about name changes. Okay. Because, you know, name changes, it's good. It connects, you, you can find name changes in a broad range of fields, right. which I'm always looking for when I'm looking for quiz topics. All right. So, name changes. Question one. The United Kingdom maintains a timeline of changes to country names and state titles. That's the, it was like the most authoritative source for that kind of stuff that I could find all in one place. There have been 11 countries that had changes from 2013 to 2023, although many of those changes are minor, like adding or removing Republic of from the name. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But some of some of them are more significant. Um, so name any three countries that have had name changes in the last 10 years. Any three countries that have had name changes in the last 10 years. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you if you I'll, I'll give you up to two kind of missed guesses. So you can you can guess up to five. So Iswatini. 
Yep. So in the last 10 years. North Macedonia. Yep. And oh, 10 years ago. I think that was more than 10 years ago. I already said a Swatini. Last 10 years. Last 10 mm-hmm. years. There, I mean, there are ones that I'm, I'm, I'm confident changed, but I don't know if it was within the last 10 years. Yeah, uh, some of those... Be, because this is a timeline of changes to country names and state titles, there are some of these that I think of as longer ago, where like they're still kind of shaking out exactly what the state title is, and so they showed okay. up on this list because, like, okay. yeah, interesting. Okay, something recently become or not be? Oh, Afghanistan. Ooh, not Af. I don't have Afghanistan on this list. Oh, okay. Ah. This is, this is getting me this last one there's i can get there's i've got i think i have a hint on one of them is okay so i've guessed three right you've guessed three okay. yeah and you've got two more guesses and there's there's one where really the name and the pronunciation stay almost the same but it's like mostly a spelling change that one's been that one was in the news not too long ago Uh, I also will say you've ruled out Europe prematurely. Okay. Let's see. Jeez, this is really hard. <laughs> I should have made it just two. I'm. I'm. I. Is it? Is it like all or nothing? I think. I think I'll give. I. I, I think I'll do five points for for two. I felt like the third one is the hard one. I mean, yeah. there there were several. I can see several of these that I'm like, oh, he he might he might go for that one. In in, in fact, including one that you've already said out loud and dismissed. Uh, yes, yes, Libya. Yes. Woo. Okay. <laughs> oh, All nice. right. Libya is not one that I thought you were going to. Thought it was likely. Libya is became the state of Libya. Mm-hmm. in official nomenclature. That was not on my list of likely ones. Uh, my likely ones, the Republic of Turkey, now spelled T-U with the two dots over it, R-K-I-Y-E. right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. That yep. was in the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Other ones that I thought might come to mind for you. Myanmar has been, that's been kind of shaking out over years. Okay. So the UK had... In 2019, they there was like more adjustment to the yes. country name and the state title of Myanmar. And Czechia, the Czech Republic wants to be called Czechia. Oh, officially. No. Okay. Officially, okay. yeah. I, uh-huh. I see, because like in Sporkle quizzes, it always says that. Mm-hmm. Instead of when you type in Czech Republic, it says Czechia. Yep. And I'm always mm-hmm. like, oh, I wonder if that, I guess that's just like their name for themselves. Yep. I didn't realize that that was like an official. Yeah, that's, that is, that is officially. That's cool. uh, yep, okay. Yep. And then other ones that you would be unlikely to get, the Federated States of Micronesia became Federated Are, States of Iceland dropped like Republic of or something. Republic of Cabo Verde. Uh, they, you know, they asked to be called Cape Cabo. Verde. Yeah, not there Cape Verde. Uh, the UK had some adjustments to exactly how Burkina Faso is stylized or okay. whatever. And then the Federal Republic of Somalia has had like 
adjustments to exactly how it's referred to. But okay, those thought- those were those were not likely. But like, if you'd produced one of those, I I couldn't be like, well, it's not a significant enough name change, right? I would have had to take right. it. Somalia crossed right. my mind, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, because like unrest, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, hey, ten points. That you you really had to work for that one. Sorry. <laughs> Question two. Before getting its now ubiquitous name in 1997, this technology product, whatever, was created in 1996 by Larry Page and Sergey Brin with the name Backrub. Ubiquitous technology product. I'm not sure what to call it. Technology. Let's. You know what? I made the other one really hard. Let's not. Let's not beat around the bush. This website called backrub yeah i mean this is le- i mean the internet has a lot of stuff that that could be this now ubiquitous website i i, I mean is it just i was hoping the name of the creators would get you there i mean i recognize the names and i'm like is it is it that is it that simple is it just uh, google it is just google okay because i was like it seems like just Google, but I also, is it that obvious? Okay, cool. It's yeah. just Google. Yes, it was. They were developing it and calling it Backrub because their idea was like a search algorithm that relies on the like back connections, right? Like mm, this links mm-hmm. to that and like how many things link to a website and like how high quality those links are as like an indicator of relevance. Yeah. So they they called it back rub and thankfully retired that that would um, be so bad can you imagine so bad. hey can you back rub that i'm just gonna back rub it real quick um the youth don't say google as a well maybe they do say google as a verb but they just they say search up yeah when you search it up yeah which um, you know what that's better yeah appreciate that yeah because that opens things up to like you know lycos and alta vista yeah Wait, oh. we're, we're doing we're doing throwback Thursday here, right? Like, yeah. Tell me, Alta Vista is it back? I cannot. Oh, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I used to have, have to a go ask email Jeeves address about that. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you go to Ask Jeeves and type in "Please open my Yahoo Mail"? <laughs> my husband still has Yahoo Mail. He's definitely migrated. Anyway. Some of us are still working on on moving our hotmail over to Gmail, okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, Google, and you're at 20 points. Oh, 30 points, because you got the topic correct. So hey, you're in great shape. There we go. Question three, continuing with the early dot-com years, the town of Halfway, Oregon, renamed itself for a period of one year in exchange for $110,000 and 20 computers for its local school. What now defunct eBay subsidiary, the name of which became the name of the town for that period, sponsored this gimmick? Oh man, I'm not going to get this. I remember, I, I do remember this happening. Mm-hmm. eBay subsidiary. I, you know what? Just for the sake of time, I'm going to pass because I know I'm not going to pull it. All right. It was half.com. Half.com. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they chose Halfway Oregon because it was called Halfway already. Mm-hmm. It was also about halfway between the equator and the North Pole. So they thought that oh. was another good connection. And it was small enough that they thought they'd be able to bribe it into changing its name, which they were. They did. Uh, Apparently, yeah. you know, Oregon can do that. There's a 
or, or no, I'm thinking of a town in North Dakota. I don't remember. Some rich guy was like, I want your town or town named after me for a couple of years. So here's some money. And now your town is called McGillicuddy. And they're like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's also, there's also a town in Oregon called Remote. And as someone who has been looking for remote job postings, oh, no. there are a lot. Like when people oh, post their jobs, no. it like autofills to remote Oregon. So there are uh, a lot of jobs that are posted as uh, being in remote Oregon. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. You're at 30 points. Question four. This is another one that you may have to puzzle on for a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, there are two Hollywood stars with different stage names who've had the same legal name due to marital name changes, changing you know, their last name to their husband's name, same husband. They obviously did not have this name at the same time and neither used that legal name as their stage name. So you wouldn't know that both of them have had this particular name. What last name did two Hollywood Jennifers share? One Jennifer was an actress in films, including Selena and Anaconda before crossing over to the music industry. And she has had this last name since 2022, although she also had a relationship with her now husband from 2002 to 2004. The other had this last name from 2005 to 2018, which overlapped with her years as the star of Alias. Yeah. Uh, The last name they shared was Affleck. That is correct. And that is all. And Jennifer Garner. Yep. That's right. I was not going to make you come up with Lopez and Garner, although... Clearly, you could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one or both of them hyphenated, but it was a little hard to find because, like, neither of them were going publicly by Jennifer Affleck. I honestly, I had forgotten that Jennifer Lopez didn't marry Ben Affleck during their relationship their, earlier. <laughs> yes. I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, like they didn't get married then and they are married now. Like I'm I'm not doing a good job keeping track of the celebrity gossip, I guess. And that is your job. It is. It's my it's my job. My job is knowing things though. And this that's is fair. a thing. It's a thing that, to know. That's a good point. That's a yeah. fair point. Yeah. Some some clown was on Facebook again recently making fun of trivia questions for not being in his opinion relevant or interesting cool. because they had to do with pop culture so right of course. Like, yeah. of course yeah yeah so but hey you knew the thing good job question five i don't know how to write religious history questions but hopefully hopefully we're doing it hopefully this one will do okay in 1776 a person whose birth name was jemima wilkinson underwent a near-death experience after which they understood themselves to have died and been reanimated as a genderless being named the public universal friend. With this new identity, they traveled throughout the Northeast preaching and attracting followers. Although their theology was rejected by much of the tradition from which they came, they are associated most strongly with what religious movement? Oh, geez, Louise. (laughs) Let, Let me say what religious movement founded by George Fox. That also doesn't super help me, but I mean, that kind of does, because like calling yourself a friend makes me think of the Society of Friends, but I don't, I think that's older than that. Oh, I could be wrong, though. 1776 is earlier than I might be picturing or calling themselves. I realize they are genderless, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also like universal makes me think of like 
universal Unitarianism, mm-hmm. universalist Unitarianism or something. And I feel like that's more, maybe that's more recent though. Yeah. Um, but are you saying yes? And it is more recent. Oh, I'm just, I am, just, I'm like, just, I'm just, I'm, fo- I'm following your, your logic. You're, okay. you know, I'm not, I'm neither, neither confirming and, nor denying anything. And, you know, embracing a, a I don't know that like genderless being of like pure spiritual energy or whatever, that does seem more like a you, you thing than a mm. like, cause the society friends is like Quakers, right? Or like congregate. Yeah. No, it's mm-hmm. yeah, more like quite. Oh, I, that anyway. was a that was a confirmed. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the like uni- universal universalist like Unitarian like the UUs. Is that it? Uh, it's it's the Quakers. It's the Quakers. Oh, it is the Quakers. I, yeah, I see you're thinking with public universal friend. I brought I brought in George Fox to to try and better pin it to Quakers. Yeah, the public universal friend. The by that time Quakerism had you know sort of systematized itself enough that there were like you know the more traditional Quaker bodies were like what why are you doing a new thing but some of the you know sort of more liberal Quakers were open to the public Universal Friends teachings um, and they're just they're an interesting figure I also you know I mean. I, I'm not a Quaker, so a lot of their theology doesn't quite fit with mine. But they're a really, you know, interesting figure and really interesting to to learn that there was this kind of, you know, genderless, no longer going by their birth name figure in American religious history. Yeah. Yeah. But but coming out of the Quaker movement and not exactly Quaker, but closer to Quaker than anything else. All right. So you are still at 40. And we're going to call the final category Creepy Crawlies. Creepy Crawlies that got a name change. I Nothing is coming to mind. So I'm going to go 30 points. Okay. For 70 points, if you are correct. In July 2021, the Entomological Society of North America removed the former common name of a certain invasive species from its list of common names due to its inclusion of a term that is regarded as an ethnic slur against the Roma people. Give either the former common name or, maybe better, the new common name, if you know it, of Lymantria dispar. Well, the, the term is gypsy. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of a creepy crawly that has gypsy in it, but it, it is not ringing any bells. Creepy crawly may give you the impression that this one doesn't fly, which would be incorrect. Yeah, creepy crawly implies that it doesn't fly. It does, in fact, fly. I mean, some beetles fly, right? Is it a gypsy beetle? Does that sound right? Gypsy wasp? Is that, is that a type of wasp? I just talked about wasps. But I don't remember gypsy wasp being one of the wasps I talked about. I'm trying to go back through that. Was that a. Were you thinking this is a slam dunk because I just talked about wasps and it's yeah. a wasp? The gypsy. Gypsy. It's an invasive species. Gypsy. I don't think. Butterfly. Gypsy. Dragonfly? I, I don't think we do because I feel like I would know about him. Gypsy. Oh! Is it a gypsy moth? Yes. 
It's a gypsy oh, mob. Okay, yes. Yeah. We don't really get gypsy moths out here. We get Miller moths by the ah. billions. The absolute billions. Ew. Nice. All right, I yeah. got it. Yes. Yeah, you got it. Uh, 70 points. And now known as the spongy moth. Ooh. Yes. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, renamed the spongy moth as its common name in reference to the spongy mass of the egg casing. Um, oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, it, as opposed Sandals. to, right, like, I mean, it's, it, it was... It was a it was a rapidly spreading invasive species that was not wanted, right? And that right. is how it got its previous name is because like, oh, just like just yeah. like the gypsies, yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, like yeah, the, the name should have been changed. I understand. Yeah, yeah no, it's it is good. Yeah. But hey, seventy points. Nice job. Thank you. You guys probably don't have spotted lantern flies out where you are either, do you? We don't we have the unless that unless that's the same thing as like the Japanese beetles? Oh no, that's it's our, different. Our big invasive species is Japanese beetles. Oh, I don't know about those ones. Yeah, spotted lanternflies came in in like the last couple of years, and they are everywhere now. Mm. But what we do have going for us in getting rid of them is that they have a very bright red coloring so they're so easy, easy. <laughs> they're easy to find but yep. there there are a ton of them well hey this was this was fun 70 points nice job Yay, yeah. yes thank you thank yeah. you for getting getting us back in the swing of things yes we're, we're back it's felt good and hey listeners i hope it felt good to be to have us back in your earbuds or on your speakers or you know whatever so thanks for spending the time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review unless you want to tell us off for taking a month and a half long break which would be understandable but hey don't leave it in the reviews please <laughs> yeah you can put that in the patreon after you mm-hmm. give us some money yeah the patreon is patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who are jeopardy fans let them know about us you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one or i guess x oh i should have one. done that name change except i uh, don't want to <laughs> no anyway our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com and we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy second chance so until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker